Friday, February 23rd, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and obviously a big headline from Yahoo Sports on Friday morning. Essentially, players from more than 20 Division I men's basketball programs have been identified as possibly breaking NCAA rules through violations that were uncovered by the FBI's investigation into corruption in the sport. As you probably know by now, the documents were secured. During a raid of Andy Miller's offices, Miller, of course, is a prominent sports agent. The documents, which are detailed, obviously now to a fault, indicate that he or somebody who works for him uh, provided impermissible benefits to prominent players, both former and current players, or their families. The list includes Michigan State's Miles Bridges, Alabama's Colin Sexton, Duke's Wendell Carter, Kentucky's Kevin Knox, just to name a few. So, Norlander, let's just dive in. What do you make of what we read this morning? There are about 46 different things you could make from it, uh, to be honest. I want to remind listeners off the top here that what we have are documents that have been obtained by the FBI that were then obtained uh, by Yahoo Sports and when the FBI raided Andy Miller's offices back in September. And Andy Miller is one of many agents who is who could potentially be involved in this, but he is obviously the one at the, cent- at the center of all of this. Um, it's important to note that we don't have receipts. We have expense reports. We don't have any coaches directly implicated in any of this, obviously. And we have to be... Um, look at all this with a critical eye and a keen eye and per and rightfully so a cynical eye but keep in mind that these are not receipts and there are already uh people that have come out malcolm brogdon first of all there are certain names in this story that just pop out to you malcolm brogdon is obviously one of them uh fred van vliet out of wichita state is another but malcolm brogdon's mother is already on the record saying I don't remember ever eating with this person, this person being Christian Dawkins, and I certainly don't remember eating at a Ritz-Carlton. So there's certainly a uh, high probability that a lot of the stuff that is in this Yahoo report from our from our friends Pete Thamel and uh, Pat Forty, who did a great job chasing all of this down, will wind up being legitimate. But I have doubts that all of it is legitimate as far as Dawkins is concerned, um, and what he has filed here with these expense reports and what loans are and where money could have gone and couldn't have gone. So, yes, we have things on paper, but we don't have a definitive paper trail yet, and obviously we are still reacting here to what we've seen so far. That was one of my first reactions. I wonder what your reaction is to my reaction, GP. Well, I I think you make an important point, which is we're looking at expense reports as opposed to actual receipts, and I actually had a Division I coach text me this morning and say, what – what would have stopped Christian Dawkins from saying he went to dinner with somebody, turning that in so he could be reimbursed for it when he didn't even actually do it? Or saying that he went to dinner with somebody when he really just went out with his boys, and it's much easier to put Malcolm Brogdon's name on there if you're trying to get reimbursed. Like, is it possible that that, that happened here in certain cases? And I would say, of course it's possible that that happened in certain cases. And when you've got Brogdon's mother coming out and – um you know, emphatically denying that this ever happened, um, you know, she could be lying, obviously, but, you know, the op- the alternative to saying something was saying nothing, which is what most people are doing today. And so uh, my guess is if if she were guilty or, or Malcolm Brogdon were guilty of, of what those documents allege, um, just keep quiet. You're under no obligation to talk to the, the NCAA, certainly right now. The fact that she came out and said, I don't remember ever meeting this person. I don't remember ever going to dinner with this person. I don't remember ever having dinner at Ritz-Carlton with anybody. Uh, I think suggests that you can't take everything that's in those documents uh, at face value. Um, That'll be something that the FBI has to sort through if it cares enough. And if the NCAA gets its hands on those documents, that it'll have to sort through if it cares enough. So I imagine what you're going to get in a lot of cases are – student athletes or their lawyers saying, hey, just because my name showed up in that document doesn't mean that I took anything. 
for instance, you know, somebody could take my computer right now or tomorrow and I might have a spreadsheet in here that says I gave Matt Norlander $5,000 in December 2017. Thanks for that, that, by the way. You're welcome. It doesn't mean that I gave Matt Norlander $5,000 in December 2017. Like I can type literally anything into a spreadsheet. And so I think that's an important point. And, a, and, and it's probably going to lead to um, not denials across the board, but I bet you a bunch of denials. Yeah. Uh, context with this report and the details within it and the reality surrounding it is very important here. Um, there are a lot of names and a lot of programs that are that are in this, and the money amounts obviously widely vary. Um, <laughs> having First of all, any coach, any prospect is allowed to sit down with an agent. That is not against NCAA rules, and in fact, it happens often, and in fact, in some instances, it's the right thing and smart thing to do as you prepare for your child's future. You want to be uh, just you want to have a good scope as best you can with the landscape and perhaps vet two, four, six different kinds of agents. So you get a good sense of who you want to meet with and not feel the stress of declaring for the draft and having a ton of stuff just thrown right into your lap. It's not against the rules to do that. What it is against the rules, obviously, is to accept money from an agent to have an agent buy you dinner. But even then, I'm not going to get up in arms over this. And that's an extremely different thing from loaning out uh, 5, 10, 15, 25. In the case of Dennis Smith Jr., whose name is attached to the largest money amount here, it's a very, very different scenario altogether. So let's just remember to keep in context and in perspective what players are in what situations and those players as former coaches or even current coaches overall. Um, I've seen Miles Bridges' face put out there a lot this morning and this afternoon. It's really unfair to the kid. Uh, his mother may or may not have taken $400 from Christian Dawkins, and apparently there was a $70 uh, meal that was paid for. If Miles Bridges was cheating, he would have gone to the NBA after his first year when he would have been a lottery pick. It is logically uh, silly to think that he would have been mixed up in anything and then decided, oh, you know what? What the heck? Screw it. I'm still getting paid, so I'm just going to return back to Michigan State. That's not the case whatsoever. Um, so it's it's important to remember players the situations here overall and really the money amounts that are uh, that are being doled out there. I will share a little bit of what I've heard. I mean, I've been on the phone consistently since this thing broke this morning, and uh, a lot of coaches out there are very intrigued by this. Um, a lot of coaches are like, read the story, like see how different a lot of these situations are. Um, some coaches are, are saying, listen, the stuff that I'm still waiting to come out about certain programs still isn't out there. Like, this is not what, what we have here is interesting, but it's still not the big stuff that I'm waiting on. Um, so it, it becomes a matter of, in the here and now, in the immediacy of all this, will any players be sat or will they not be sat? Because you've got Kevin Knox at Kentucky and Bridges at Michigan State and Sexton at Alabama. Wendell Carter, whose mother apparently had a lunch, maybe, uh, with Christian Dawkins. Um, will these players be sat? It, it, so the programs don't chance potentially um, putting their NCAA tournament appearances up for <laughs> what's happened to Louisville. Because you don't want to have this happen, make a Final Four. Two years later, the NCAA says, nope, he was ineligible. you got to vacate the victories. So that's... There are many different ways we can talk about this story, but obviously, immediately, that's the biggest thing here. I don't know if anyone will be sad or not. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens with all of this. Because literally, as we're talking right now, San Diego State has announced that they are suspending Malik Pope, whose name was obviously tied to, to this report. So um, you and I talked before, or we were texting before um, we started recording this podcast. I would assume that, yes, there are going to be some denials. Like, hey, that did not happen. I don't know that person. But I would assume that there will be universities in advance of this weekend's games, maybe three minutes before tip-off, announcing that they are holding players out of games for the exact reason that, that you mentioned. You do not want to, to jeopardize um, having to vacate anything. And so the way these things usually work, and I understand this case is different than most and, and broader than most. But the way these things usually work is that when a university, a compliance department, is made aware that 
one of its student athletes might have or actually did accept an impermissible benefit of any kind. Um, they are ruled ineligible by, by the school, and then the school immediately applies for reinstatement with the NCAA. That's like that's sort of the process. Uh, the issue here is that you know, this story dropped on Friday, which is vastly different than Monday, uh, because everybody plays this weekend, and you know, ruling somebody ineligible and then applying for reinstatement—that's uh, not a 15-minute process, not a 15-hour process usually. Um, so I, we already know one player, Malik Pope, is going to be held out of games at least this weekend, and I would suspect, and I, I, I couldn't begin to guess which ones, but. Uh, you know, whether it's Wendell Carter at Duke or Colin Sexton at Alabama or Kevin Knox at Kentucky, though John Calipari held a press conference this afternoon and said he expects Kevin Knox to play tomorrow. Didn't say Kevin Knox will play tomorrow, for what it's worth. He said he expects Kevin Knox to play. I, I bet you before tip-off we're going to hear about more players being held out of games um, while their schools look into these situations. Um, we'll note that a lot of coaches I spoke with um, – were uh, were made aware of the things in this story only by the publication of the story, um, and I, I, this is certainly a listen. We're dedicating this entire podcast to this, and we'll maybe sprinkle in some some weekend stuff here at the end. But um, this is a major story that is causing a lot of discussion here, but. Uh, I'm not sure what we have with this story is everything that we've been expecting and other people have been expecting to come out of to come out of this, right? I mean, again, the punishments or the punishments, the the payments they vary greatly, and so the punishments for those payments will also vary greatly. The NCAA has an absolute mess on its hands because it's going to have to take one of these, every one of these, on a case by case basis, as it should. And so what is inevitably going to happen is we are going to see different schools be hit in different ways because it's not going to be able to take all of this and say, okay, every school, every program, you're going to be punished in the exact same way. Um, again, I just uh, – proving all of this will be interesting, and I understand that fans can be out for blood when it comes to this stuff. When it's your rival or a coach you hate gets named in something like this, you're just dying for them to get hit. Uh, to me, this is bigger than that. This is more about, can we take a realistic look at what's happening here? And the fact that rules have been broken and they very well easily could have been broken without knowledge of the coaches. I mean, uh, I, you know, I talked to Tom Crean earlier, who's not, you know, he was the one coach who I was able to talk to on the record uh, because he's not an active coach right now. And he has perspective on this, having had to manage uh, the recruiting issues that he's come come into contact with. And Crean's never been associated with anything nefarious, but he said, I'm not naive enough to think that I coached all these years and nothing happened. That would be completely stupid. And the point he was making was you cannot possibly control what your players might do before they get to campus, like with Bridges, then that lunch or whatever that happened was in May of 2016 before he got to Michigan State's campus. And when you have all these people – trying to leech onto these prospects and players, it is a very, very hard world to navigate. It is a very hard world to avoid, even if you run a clean program. I mean, you have players at places like Virginia and Notre Dame and North Carolina that have really good reputations about not breaking the rules within our industry and within our business and among those uh, coaches' contemporaries. And yet, nevertheless, there they are. I am not up in arms over this. And Parrish, I'll, I'll transition with you to this. I think there's going to be a lot of interest in this story, and there's a lot of interest people are listening to this podcast to get more information and all of that. But to everyone listening, how, like, how outraged are you really? Like, how much does this story actually truly bother you? In fact, I think because so many people have become annoyed with the infrastructure of the way the NCAA is run, this is more about exposing the hypocritical nature of the NCAA and when you have these simple dinners and lunches that are paid for, there's not really a ton of outrage over, over potential schools breaking rules in this regard. It's, it's more about the lunacy of the rules that we have in place, and you need more of these stories to come out in order to affect any kind of change 
Whether that's going to happen or not, obviously, if you want to be pessimistic about that, uh, there's reason to believe so. Let me circle back real quick to the initial point you made about Miles Bridges because um, you said essentially that it runs counter to common sense that Miles Bridges would come back to school if he were cheating. Therefore, let's take what is connected to Miles Bridges per these documents with a, for lack of a better phrase, grain of salt. I would say this. Um, it, it would be completely normal for an agent or a runner, in this case Christian Dawkins, to target a parent of a player without a player even knowing. And just basically for the same reasons um, – you know, a financial advisor would work through Chuck Person at Auburn or Tony Bland at USC. Like, hey, I, I know, you know, I, I feel like you've got some control over this situation, so I'm going to help you out. And then when it's time, I'm going to need you to help me out. Obviously, a parent would be the type of person who would have influence over a situation. So I guess what I'd say is this. Just because Miles Bridges came back to school for his sophomore year doesn't necessarily, to me, mean that there's just no way his mom was taking money from Andy Miller's agency because I, I think those two things could happen independent of each other. Um, that said, I, um, there is a distinction here between these stories um, that are often getting lumped together. I was having a conversation with somebody in the industry, I guess it was Wednesday night, so a couple of days before the story published, and the point he and I were making were because we were expecting – I mean, I'm not saying we predicted this, but it was like we were talking about you know, those, if those documents at Andy Miller's agency um, show that the payments were made to you know, different players, people are going to lump all these things in together. For instance, uh, Justin Patton's in it, right? Justin Patton or his family received something of some sort. And so the question becomes, okay, did Creighton cheat? And I think this is where a clear line needs to be drawn. And I'm not sure that it matters in the big picture, like of, of whether Creighton or any of the other schools might have to vacate games because they were using a player that was um, ruled retroactively retroactively ineligible. But um, I do think it's different. There's a difference when it comes down to assigning blame or calling somebody a cheater or not a cheater. My point being this. When Adidas is working with the Louisville staff to get Brian Bowen's family money to enroll at Louisville, that is undeniably cheating. They are providing impermissible benefits to, to ensure a student athlete enrolls at a particular university. That is cheating in the traditional sense. So much of what is alleged in these documents is not that. I don't believe for a second that Andy Miller cheated to get Justin Patton to go to Creighton. Justin Patton was a red shirt freshman. Here's what happens in a lot of these cases. I think Fred Van Vliet at Wichita State would be another example. You think that Andy Miller paid Fred Van Vliet to go to Wichita State? Or had somebody pay Fred Van Vliet to go to Wichita State? No. Nobody Here's wanted Fred Van Vliet. That's the whole deal. Like, Remember back when he was a recruit? I mean, come on. Here's what happens whether it's Justin Penton, Fred Van Vliet, or any of the names that sound similar to that, Malcolm Brogdon. Here's what, if, if the Malcolm Brogdon thing happened, here's, here's what happens. Andy Miller, somebody who works for Andy Miller, and, and by the way, I got a, quote, uh, a text from a Division I coach this morning, and, he, and I'll just read it to you. He said, the scary part about this whole FBI probe is that Andy Miller is not the only agent who conducts his business in this manner, which is obviously true. A thousand you percent. Know, yeah, you know that for two reasons. A, Andy Miller didn't like have the best list of clients every year. It's not like he had seven lottery picks every year. His list of clients was actually like, uh, whatever. And uh, secondly, he didn't even, according to these documents, get every client that he paid. Like there's one note in the documents that say like wasted money or bad investment or something. Like you pay this kid or his family and the kid just went with another agent, which means like somebody else was buying him too. So uh, this is pretty a, a pretty widespread practice. And so what happens with, a person like Fred Van Vliet or Justin Patton or, or theoretically Malcolm Brogdon is an agent goes, oh, wow, that kid at Wichita State, he looks like he might be a pro now. I wonder if we can develop a relationship with him so that we can represent him someday. And next thing you know, it's $400 here, 1000 bucks here. 
you know, it's it's six hundred dollars a month. Uh, and so if Fred Van Vliet is accepting impermissible benefits or somebody connected to Fred Van Vliet is connecting impermissible benefits, it is not to get him to go to Wichita State. It's simply to, hey, when you leave Wichita State, you're with me. And I think most of these cases are probably that more so than an actual college program cheating to get these prospects on campus in the traditional sense of cheating. What Louisville allegedly did, that is cheating by the traditional definition of the word. Uh, What Justin Patton is alleged to have done or Fred Van Vliet is alleged to have done is simply take money to get with an agent after they leave. Uh, Creighton and or Wichita State. Does that make you understand what I'm saying? Oh, perish. Undoubtedly. And that is the reality of of the industry. And if you're going to meet with agents, that's fine. Like, if you want to explore your options, that's why there's a, a, a lengthy process now and an improved process that took way too long to initiate on behalf of the NCAA and the NBA in regard to after the season, the college season, when you've got that pre-draft process to decide whether you will or will not sign with an agent. Um, but, I mean, overall, I I look at this story, and, yeah, there are the obvious takeaways about the outdated NCAA model, the tone-deaf response from Mark Emmert, um, and the changes that need to be made. And Parrish has a column up right now at cbssports.com about the changes that uh, really need to take hold if we want to avoid having these kinds of days and these kinds of stories again. Uh, but ultimately, you know, I, I do circle back to a lot of talking points that people have made today in that, listen, in, in college hockey, you're allowed to have agent representation. And there's really no harm if you allow high school prospects to sign with an agent and if they think that they are NBA-bound to get, get that process done then. To be able to make money off of their likeness, that should certainly be things that are on the table. Those things alone will not necessarily stop um, – certain kinds of cheating and uh, well below board kinds of cheating. That's absolutely still going to always be the case. But beyond all of that, um, you know, one coach I was talking to today said, you know, this is just, it's disturbing. It's disgusting. In fact, I'm going to read you this quote here because I think it's going to be in the story I've got. Um, They were speaking about Miles Bridges and the fact that like there might've been a $70 meal and a $400 payment to his mother and all that. And he said, it will be a classic case of what goes on in this business. You prey on poor families and we'll say African-American families. And for what? Because their son can play and can make you a dollar. It can make you money. It's disgusting. It's truly disgusting. But nonetheless, here we are. We sit, we worry, and we wait. And there is a lot of truth in that statement. And unfortunately, not every situation is going to be bad. Not every agent is out to... Uh, completely, you know, prey upon a player and treat these people like garbage and just move on. And if an NCAA violation happens, so be it. There's there's a lot more nuance and context in, in regard to this in general. But this certainly is a, a season of some reckoning here. And the story that came out on Friday will absolutely bring the conversation to a place where it's, it needs to be brought to in a, in a, an accelerated manner, in my opinion. And, and with all of that, I still feel like, man, like what is the FBI, even though these cases that are in court, like if this is what we're dealing with here, um, if, if the context, context of this story and what, uh, Forty and Thamel were able to uncover in the documents, if this is what we're dealing with, are we really going to see these men go to jail? And should they even be going to jail to begin with? How, How is this case uh, able to stand uh, on the footing that's being brought to the courts with it? I don't know. I don't have the answers to that kind of stuff. Um, but beyond those details, Parrish, I think at least, even if you think the FBI getting involved in this is silly and ridiculous and the NCAA is in the dark and the FBI is working as an enforcement harm, a de facto one, um, and ersatz one for the NCAA, if you will. And it has undeniably uh, sparked a lot of conversation, a lot of action. And I do hope, and I do have some optimism here, that we will see a a better template in place, hopefully sooner than later, as it pertains to NCAA basketball and, and the amateurism model. But I also have unfortunate confidence that it will not meet the level that you and I are hoping that it's going to get to. Do you agree? 
I, I, I 100% agree. And you mentioned Mark Emmert's comment, and uh, I want to discuss that in a second. But first, real quickly, let me uh, tell you about SeatGeek. If you're looking for tickets to anything, that's the place to look on the SeatGeek app. I've got it on my phone. Matt Norlander has it on his phone. And I've used it uh, here recently because, uh, like I mentioned, I believe previously, uh, I live uh, right outside of Memphis. And the Cleveland Cavaliers, King James himself, uh, is coming to FedEx Forum on a Friday night. And I had a, a buddy coming into town. Want to know if I could get him tickets because people think I work in the media. So I must just have like a, a, t- a ticket, like just access to tickets to everything. And though I could probably call in a favor, having LeBron James in town is not the time to call in a favor. So what did I do? Um, I went to SeatGeek, and in a matter of seconds, literally seconds, um, I was securing um, some not quite courtside seats. I don't like this guy that much, but uh, certainly seats in the in the lower level. Um, just a couple of clicks, and if you are going to secure tickets to anything, NBA games, college basketball games, anything, concerts, make sure uh, that you're using the promo code College BB because with that promo code, you're going to get 20 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's promo code COLLEGEBB. Now, SeatGeek is is awesome for a variety of reasons, but the main one is because it searches multiple ticket sites for you. Everything's fully guaranteed. And so the days of you having to go to this site and that site and that site, comparing prices, comparing seats, comparing value, that's over. You don't have to do that anymore. SeatGeek handles that so they're saving you time and they're saving you money. Again, next time you're looking for seats to anything, tickets to anything, you go to SeatGeek. Get the app on your phone. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. You mentioned Mark Emmert's uh, comments, and here's what he said earlier today. He released a statement, and it read, Following the Southern District of New York's indictments last year, the NCAA Board of Governors and I formed the Independent Commission on College Basketball, chaired by Condoleezza Rice, to provide recommendations on how to clean up the sport. With these latest allegations, it's clear this work is more important now than ever. The board and I are completely committed to making transformational changes to the game and ensuring all involved in college basketball do so with integrity. We also will continue to cooperate with the efforts of federal prosecutors to identify and punish uh, the parties seeking to exploit the system through criminal acts, end quote. And I use that quote in my column, and the next line is, cut to me rolling my eyes, because this is what the NCAA does. This is what Mark Emmer does. They They form a committee, and they talk about a lot of stuff. And they come up with more rules that will just be broken. I tweeted the following earlier today. Dear Mark Emmert, the problem is your NCAA rulebook. As long as you hold tight to amateurism and deny student athletes the ability to secure representation or accept fair market value, this black market will never go away, no matter how many smart people you put on a committee. And... These are not new ideas for me. I've been talking about this and writing about this for years and years and years. Um, these, in this case, let's just talk about basketball players. So many of these basketball players are worth so much money to so many different people that this kind of stuff will never go away. Um, they're worth something to agents who want to represent them. They're worth something to financial advisors who want to handle their money. They're worth something to shoe companies that want the universities with which they have multi-million dollar business deals to succeed. They're worth something to schools that want to sell season ticket packages for the most money possible. They're worth something to coaches who want to get contract extensions that set them up for life. They're worth something to boosters who want oftentimes irrationally just their favorite schools, their alma maters to, to win big and consistently. So these people, um, have have real value attached to them. And as long as that is true, and yet your system prevents them from capitalizing on that in real time, in the moment, the black market will always exist. These things will always exist. The number one pick in June's NBA draft is going to sign a two-year contract for $14.6 million dollars there's a good chance that person will be a 19-year-old who just spent one year in college. That means by the age of 21, he is going to have already made $15 million. That person's worth something to a lot of people. Obviously, the, the universities that, 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 the university that enrolled him, um, the agent that will someday represent him, the shoe company that will someday um, pay him to, as, a, as an endorser, and yet that, that person right now, on February 23rd, 2018, 
is not allowed to have an agent, is not allowed to accept anything from anybody above what's allowed per the NCAA rulebook. Well, that's illogical. It's irrational. Like, there was a 14-year-old who, I guess she was 13 at the time, but she won America's Got Talent. I only know that because I you started. You the show. I know. Uh, because I started Googling today, like, teenage, uh, you know, pop stars, and her name popped up. And I'm confident that the moment it hold became. Hold on, hold on. Hmm. You were Googling teenage pop stars? Teenage pop stars in the year 2018. That's what I was Googling. All right, continue. Okay, what, what's wrong with that? Is that a bad Google search? Keep on keeping on, man. Okay, so I'm Googling that because I'm looking for a name to use an example in this column. And uh, her name's Taylor something or another. She's 14 years old now. And I am confident that the moment it became clear she was a future multimillionaire because she had a talent that was recognized on a show literally titled America's Got Talent, uh, I'm confident she secured representation. And if we all agree that that's not only smart but necessary, why shouldn't 19-year-old Colin Sexton, who also has talents that have made it clear for a while now that he's going to be a multimillionaire just the same, why shouldn't he be allowed to have an agent? By the way, some Division One student-athletes, like hockey players, are allowed to have an agent. But for whatever reason, men basketball players can't. Like you mentioned, you can have a dinner as long as you pay for it with an agent. You can have a meeting as long as you don't accept anything from an agent. But in a world where we know for a fact that there is a 19-year-old right now who in three or four months is going to sign a contract worth $15 million, in that world, there are going to be agents out there forever trying to do whatever they can do to ensure or at least increase the odds that they can they can soon represent in a formal way that student athlete. That's never going to stop. So how do you clean that up? Mark Emmert says we've got to clean up the sport. Well, how are you going to clean that up? You ain't cleaning that up. You know how you clean it up? You just flip it. You make it legal. How did we clean up coaches getting busted for impermissible text messages? Just made it legal. Like literally what Kelvin Sampson got fired for at Indiana is no longer against the NCAA rules. So you are never going to get coaches to stop doing that. So you know what they said? It's not a big deal. So let's just uh, let coaches do that. So now when's the last time you heard about a coach getting in trouble for impermissible phone calls, excessive phone calls? You haven't because it's not – those things aren't illegal in the way that they used to be. This is the same deal. How are you ever going – because if you accept these documents at face value, and we've already acknowledged uh, we don't think every entry is probably accurate, but certainly some of them are, lots of them are. If, if you accept that document, what we know is that agents are out there targeting these student-athletes because they know very soon they're going to be worth something. Maybe not all tens of millions of dollars, but most, at least hundreds of thousands of dollars, and that's worth something to these agents. And so if we already know that they're targeting them, and we know that the rules – clearly don't prevent them from doing that that there's always going to be somebody offering something and there's always going to be somebody willing to take something how do you clean that up you have to make it legal you know what you do change the rules you say agents are now allowed to reach agreements with student athletes if a student athlete wants that in other words if marvin bagley um at the age of 18 um is approached by an agent or his family and he's comfortable with the situation and he wants to go ahead and secure representation, then let him do it. Like other student athletes are allowed to do it. Why not Marvin Bagley? And then let me take it a step further. The agent is allowed to do whatever he wants to do. If he wants to give Marvin Bagley a $500,000 advance, fine. Why do I care? And, and then what do you eliminate? You eliminate agents having to do under-the-table deals with parents or players. You eliminate agents having to work through Chuck Person at Auburn or Tony Bland at USC. There is no reason whatsoever to do anything dirty anymore, to work through uh, third parties anymore. You want to know why? Because you don't have to work through them anymore. You work directly with the player and his family, just like you work directly when Justin Bieber is a teenager with him and his family. They are at their core similar things. People with unusual talents who are going to be multimillionaires. That's the way you stop that. You want to clean that up? 
you clean it up overnight. You just make it where it's allowed to be. And then the, the larger issue, of, of course, is amateurism. And we've been through this before, but on a day like today, it's, it's worth uh, revisiting. Um, as long as you are tied to strict amateurism, there is no way to clean up the sport. Because, again, these players are worth too much money to too many people. Coaches can make tens of millions of dollars by winning basketball games. What's the best way to win basketball games? Has forever been and still is to get the best basketball players available. Well, they're worth – that means those basketball players are worth something. Schools are trying to sell season ticket packages for as much money possible. That means those players are worth something. Shoe companies are signing $100 million deals with universities and then trying to make sure those universities are good at basketball. That means those basketball players are worth something to them. I mean, across the board, these players are worth – not all of them, but, but some of them are worth something to somebody. And it's why my suggestion has always been very simple. Just open it up. How do you make, how do you make it where people stop taking impermissible benefits? Make it where there's no such thing as an impermissible benefit. Pretty easy. You just say we are now using the Olympic model. And I don't mean just for men's basketball and football. I mean for volleyball, soccer, doesn't matter to me. All sports. Hey, you're a student athlete. Go get whatever you can get. Now, you're going to have to have paperwork done, and it's all going to have to be documented. But as long as you are free to take whatever you want to take, then there is no reason to do anything dirty anymore. Like, it, it, I, I, I still get the tweets. Like, every hour somebody says, well, there will still be people cheating. How can you cheat if there's no rules? If there are no rules, there's no – you can't break a rule if it doesn't exist. You can't take an impermissible benefit if there's no such thing. So what do you do? If you're Marvin Bagley and Nike comes to you and they say, hey, we want to put you on billboards and in commercials for $2 million, and we would prefer that you go to one of our schools, Duke, in fact, um, for at least one year of college. If Marvin Bagley, after looking at that proposal and every other proposal putting in front of him, put in front of him, says, okay, that sounds good to me, then let him sign the contract, get his $2 million, and go to Duke. And then, same deal at literally anywhere else. If at UAB, a Birmingham car dealer wants to pay a local recruit $10,000 to go to uh, UAB for however long and put him in car commercials, fine with me too. And if a soccer player can get something, fine with me too. Everybody gets what they're, what they're worth. Everybody gets fair market value. For some people, like the Marvin Bagley's or the Johnny Manziel's, it'll be a lot. For others, it'll be some. For most, in most sports, it'll be exactly what they get already, a scholarship and maybe a cost of attendance stipend. But at that point, everybody is getting whatever they get. There's no more cheating because there's no more reason to cheat. There's no rules to break. We suddenly know why everybody goes everywhere. We don't have to wonder why this kid went to that AC school, ACC school or that kid went to that Conference USA school or that kid went to that American Athletic Conference school or that kid went to that Pac-12 school. We know why. He signed a deal. Maybe it's with a big national brand like Nike. Maybe it's just with a pizza joint in the college town that has boosters that really like to spend money on, on basketball. And yes, I understand what that would mean because there are people right now screaming, but Parrish, I mean, the mid-majors wouldn't have a chance anymore. The mid-majors wouldn't be able to compete with that. The low-majors wouldn't be able to compete with that. The schools with the biggest budgets and the biggest corporate sponsorships and the most intense boosters and the biggest fan bases, the schools and the big conferences that care most about these sports, football and men's basketball, they would get most of the great prospects. To which I say, have you looked at the recruiting rankings lately? That's the way it already works. It's the way it already works for a variety of reasons. It wouldn't change the order of anything at all. Tennessee would have absolutely a recruiting advantage over Middle Tennessee. Kentucky absolutely would have a recruiting advantage over Western Kentucky. Guess what? It already does. So I promise you, you could strip away amateurism, allow agents to represent players, and your recruiting rankings from year to year wouldn't look any different than they look right now. Your AP polls from year to year wouldn't look any different than they look right now. Your national champions from year to year wouldn't look any different than they would look right now. And here's the best part. No vacated anything. Everything's clean. Everything's above board. Everything's transparent. And anything short of that, and by the way, I know that whatever the NCAA does will be well short of that, but anything short of that 
is just a public relations circle jerk. It gets you nowhere. It will not clean up the sport. It will fail spectacularly. Yeah, Duke just released a statement within the past 60 seconds. Uh, I'm reading it right now. Duke student-athlete was identified in the Yahoo Sport. It's Wendell, but they don't mention him by name. This morning in men's college basketball, Duke immediately reviewed the matter and, based on the available information, determined there are no eligibility issues relating to today's report. Duke has already contacted the NCAA and will continue to work collaboratively with the NCAA and the Atlantic Coast Conference. Duke has an uncompromising commitment to compliance in athletics that has not and will not change. That means that Wendell Carter, barring some sort of change, is going to play this weekend because it's saying there are no eligibility issues. So we know that Carter will suit up this weekend. That literally broke within the final 60 seconds of of Parrish's record-setting rant there. Um, Just as, yeah, yeah. and I'm not terribly surprised by that because, again, a lot of the instances that are documented here, and by the way, the fact that they were even documented, yes, give me all of your Stringer Bell wire memes about taking notes in a criminal <laughs> conspiracy. Absolutely. It is kind of mind-boggling that Dawkins, ASM, Andy Miller, whomever else were, uh, were doing all this. But then again, at the same time, when you're dealing with literally tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars, you got to keep books somewhere, right? I mean, you can't have uh, you can't just have eighty thousand dollars go missing like that. So I understand why the documents were there to begin with, but obviously it presents a huge, huge problem. Um, GP, a lot of what you talked about is 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 fairy fairy tale land stuff. Unfortunately, we're just not going to get to that point. Um, would love to see, and in fact, here's what I would say to Mark Emberton: like, shut up with your stupid committee. You can put more rules in. We will, if the FBI wants to go bust this thing open again in 10 years, they will, and then you'll release the same stupid statement again. Anything short of what I described allows for a black market to exist, and that black market will always be exploited. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be great uh, for Emmert's reputation and the, the, uh, <laughs> the, the greater reputation of the NCAA if it can actually have an adult discussion – not try and talk under the elephant, around the elephant, over the elephant, and just fully embrace the issue it has in its room with amateurism. And it's going to stop well short of the, of, the, uh, of the scenario you're putting on the table here. But if it could actually truly make some big strides here, because also we're talking about college basketball. This is a college basketball podcast. This happens in, in NCAA football, obviously. I mean, these things have been around forever, and a lot of it just isn't bad stuff. There's nothing wrong with going to a damn dinner with an agent or a representative of an agent and just trying to establish a relationship. And if he picks up the freaking Shirley Temple and cheeseburger, then who gives a damn? Like, honestly, what are we talking about here? Um, if they could make big strides toward agent representation, that would be huge, as would um, fair market value when it comes to the Olympic model and being able to uh, to profit off your likeness. There's one potential uh, Pandora's box that would be open in that uh, situation, and that would be... I could see a situation where uh, college athletes then not only get uh, recruited away in the transfer market from other coaches, but <laughs> other business entrepreneurs in potentially rival cities or states of the, or sections of the country would then probably try and say, hey, you happy with the money you're making? Because we, uh, we can certainly bring you over here. And in your model, like that's totally up and above board, but it would certainly create a whole hell of a lot of chaos, and uh, it might be enough. And that's fine with me. I know it you know, is. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, just saying. Like that, that could be something that happens. Coaches do it all the time. Steve Forbes is absolutely killing it at East Tennessee State right now. You know what's going to happen in a few weeks? Somebody's going to say, "Hey, you want some more money at this other school in this bigger league? We could probably make that happen for you." So, and and everybody accepts it. Like, okay, well, that's just the way the coaching business works. Everybody's happy for Steve Forbes or whoever the other the uh, the alternative to Steve Forbes is. We don't even blink an eye. We say, okay, why is Steve Forbes the head coach at East Tennessee State? Because that's the best job he could get when he got that job. And then if he goes and kills that job, which is what he's doing, he will probably get an opportunity at a bigger school in a bigger league for more money. Good for him. Hey, congrats, Chris Beard. You went from Little Rock to UNLV for a week to Texas Tech. That's amazing. Like, there's somebody who jumped jobs like he went from three. He went. He touched three different schools in a matter of like two weeks. He was at Little Rock. Wins a game in the tournament. Oh, wow, Chris Beard's a hot name. UNLV is offering more money. Cool, I'm going to bounce to UNLV. Congratulations, Chris Beard. That's awesome. You proved yourself at the low major level, and now you get to go coach UNLV, the running rebels. We're Tark coach. That's amazing. Then Texas Tech opens up. It's like, oh, hey, Big 12, more money, closer to home. Why don't you come on down here? He does it. 
And then we say, congratulations, Chris Beard. That's amazing. You went from Little Rock to a Big 12 coach. You're a multimillionaire now. And so if we think that that's great for the coaches, why is it bad for the players? I'm not saying it is. I'm just laying out the potential dominoes that would fall in that sort of situation and why the NCAA would be hesitant to go that route. It's not going to go that route. Um, but big picture, obviously a story with some serious impact. Let's look a little bit deeper into what the details are actually showing us here and how there's a big difference between loaning out potential clients who, by the way, most of whom ASM did not even land, uh, tens of thousands of dollars and doing that versus buying meals versus what would have happened with the Bowen situation at Louisville. Again, all these things are different. But unfortunately, what you're going to hear a lot with commentary, be it things you read, radio, television, this kind of story, everything is going to get lumped in. And that is unfortunate because the details matter. And... Um, it's going to be painted as a horrible look for the NCAA and an even worse look for college basketball when, in fact, some of these coaches probably could have been aware of some of the stuff. Other coaches, they had no idea, and they try not to have any idea, some knowingly, some unknowingly, who knows. But the agent thing, again, like there are coaches that will encourage agents to walk through the front door, come to my office, sit down, meet with the player, be above board. It's totally, totally cool. Others don't work like that. And obviously this business is – it's an incredible one to cover. And there's – and there's sometimes you don't know who to believe, what to believe. And as you are seeing right now, I mean, literally as we are recording this podcast, um, I mean, Goodman is, is reporting uh, that uh, Josh Jackson's uh, mother, uh, Apple, said, I have never met Andy Miller. We had a relationship with Christian. We never took any money from him. You're going to have denials left and right all over the place. And you know what? Some of those denials are probably going to be 100% the truth. Perhaps other denials are going to be, hey, I've talked with a lawyer. I'm going to deny everything because, honestly, you got nothing to you got nothing to throw against me and you got no proof, and it's never going to stick to me anyway. Um, I'll be interested to see what we hear from people that are named in the report in the coming, in the coming hours, in the coming days overall. Um, but I do not – see, I do not think – I mean, San Diego State potentially, they're going to sit Pope. I mean, I'm not thinking that this is going to have the con- – By the way, I just play them and say, you know what? We'd be happy to vacate the season anyway. Right. I, not- know, I, I know. <laughs> I know. There have been a few tweets out about that, just about past seasons. <laughs> with, like NC State, you know, if we, want to, if we want to vacate that year with Dennis Smith Jr., honestly, we'll do it. Like, got us. <laughs> like, whatever. Like, doesn't matter. Just goes to speak about how stupid that uh, punishment can be sometimes. But – um Maybe I wind up being wrong here, but if you've tuned into this podcast to find out what sort of immediate impact this story will have on the NCAA tournament, this story specifically, I have my doubts. Um, I'm just not certain, particularly because a lot of these cases have to do with the players, potentially their parents, not even them themselves, could have been when they weren't even on campus yet as these players, no coach knowledge, it's going to be very hard to to hand out discipline here in a, in a rational way for the NCAA. So maybe we find out more by the time we podcast again on Sunday night. As we go into March, there could be more that comes out. We'll wait and see. I will tell you this, like a story like this coming out now, something to keep in mind, like if the FBI does have more, okay, and it is in position to either make more charges or reveal more just because it feels like it can and it should because of the amount of attention that this story has got on Friday, um, I would certainly put that in within the realm of possibility. So we've got some some big noise from this, but if we were going to get more from the FBI's behalf, and quite frankly, I think we need some more here if they want to give that case a little more validity and we want to really see what uh, see all of what they have, then then maybe we'll be we'll really be cooking. But that doesn't take anything away from the reporting that Forty and Thamel uncovered here to get those documents. That's a huge get, and um, it was certainly revealing. I will say, when I when I read the story and I saw some of the names, I was like, "What?" You know, they just it just they were flat out surprising. But then you look at what was actually alleged here, and again, we got no receipts, folks. I say, okay, so some of this stuff, uh, you know, expense report. How many people listening right now have fudged on an expense report? That's what I want to know. You know, you've done it. Don't don't lie. Don't deny it. And um, and Dawkins himself, uh, was he or was he not um, 
like busted on $42,000 in fake Uber charges as well. Like character of the person here has to be taken into account. And one more thing, um, I will note that uh, with a lot of these players, uh, so so Dawkins, his father, Lou, um, very prominent, well-respected figure in the state of Michigan. And in fact, Lou Dawkins um, has a strong connection with, with Michigan State in particular. Well, if you look at a lot of the names on that list, Kyle Kuzma, Diamond Stone has flint ties from Wisconsin. Josh Jackson, Monty Morris, Demetrius Jackson from the South Bend area, relatively uh, close to the, to the Michigan area, obviously. Eric Davis, Brian Bowen from Michigan, Edmund Sumner. All of those players actually have Michigan ties, so it's it's one of the ways that, and not all the guys on the list do, but it's one of the ways that Christian Dawkins might have been able to just get himself in front of these players but again, each situation is different, and you have to evaluate everything that has happened here with every single player differently. Don't be irresponsible and lump everyone in because every player situation is different. And I do think that there are some players, some coaches, some programs here that um, have been painted with a broad brush and might really not be guilty of anything. I feel like I've yelled enough. Oh, without a doubt, man. Yeah, we've gone on here. It's been a, it's been a long podcast, and, and everything else went out the window. Like. Like, Alonzo Trier is not available at Arizona because he possibly <laughs> tested positive for a drug test. Um, Michael Porter Jr. is practicing and might get back on the floor from Missouri and play in the NCAA tournament, which, by the way, would be freaking awesome. And, yeah, we've got a solid slate of games this weekend. The Big Ten regular season, like, wraps up this weekend, by the way. But this was the big story of the day. It had to take precedent. And anything else that's lingering from it, we'll get to on the Sunday podcast. And maybe we'll get to Alonzo Trier at some point. Maybe we'll get to Michael Porter Jr. at some point. But, um but we we realized that this was uh, the high the high point of interest for everyone, and I guess we see where we go from here with this GP. Um, it, it it is interesting, but I await more information personally. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. He's the legend. Please go subscribe to the On College Basketball Podcast um, over at Apple Music. Uh, it it really does help. Uh, one of our buddies sent us. I think it's Apple Podcast, by the way. We're not as much as I'd love to us to be climbing up those Apple Music charts. Um, and I can break out the guitar if you'd like, get a little tunes going if you want. But uh, we are not climbing up the Apple Music charts, GP. Right? You, we might. Hey, you put a ceiling on you. Don't put a ceiling on me. I just. It's uh, it's quite easy to put a ceiling on you. I'm afraid. <laughs> oh, that's a short joke. It is. That's yes. a short joke. We were doing short jokes. The other night we were in studio, and I'm having a stand there with Brendan Haywood again. He's like legit seven foot tall. And, uh, you know, everybody's laughing because I look like not even human next to him. And he's like, oh, GP, like, you know, it ain't so bad. Like, GP, you're like 5'11", right? I'm like, no, man, I ain't close to 5'11". Five, five foot five. Get out of here. <laughs> I'm like, he's, um, I'm like five, seven and a half, probably. He was like, oh, I didn't realize. I didn't realize he's that short. I said, well, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway um hey wherever you can subscribe like go do it we had a buddy send us a screen grab and it suggested that like we're doing really well and so we want to keep doing really well and that is uh, mostly reliant on you guys going and subscribing and listening and rating it favorably and leaving nice comments so um if you got a second uh we sincerely would appreciate it so please go do that and like norland said we're going to talk to you again on sunday night till then take care